Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Foxtrot to dispatch, 1097. Checking an open door at Officer's Club. One Foxtrot, stand by for Unit 2 Bravo to back you up. Stay where you are, Patty Jean. Well, I was an MP at the Presidio. She was my partner. What we've got here is a multi-jurisdictional investigation involving the cooperation of the Army and the San Francisco Police Department. Now I'm the police part, sir. I was prepared to cut you a little slack because of Patty Jean, so I'll let you do your dirty Harry invitation. Well, your time's up. So listen real good to what I want to tell you. This is my command here. You watch your mouth and you're here. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. What is with you two anyway, huh? I don't want you seeing him. Is that an order? He'll use you to get at me. Don't wait up for me. I'm going to be late. It will take an investigation to make them confront the past. It's come from Colonel Lawrence's talk at all. You can't stay on the Presidio forever. When you leave, I'll be waiting. I'll own your ass. Whatever happened between you and Lawrence happened a long time ago. You were wrong then, and you're wrong now. Your father and I don't like each other much. That's no big secret. I'm here because I'm interested in you, not your father. Prove it. What? We can sit here and talk for a couple of hours and wonder what it would be like to be alone together. Or we could just cut to the chase. Bad news, I love her. So do I. Do you think that Lawrence is the only one involved in all this? Deal with CIA. One man held by honor. You knew. You damn knew. The other driven by justice. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. And a woman torn between them both. Sean Connery, Mark Harmon, Meg Ryan. The Presidio. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Presidio from 1988. The studio was Paramount Pictures, release date was June 10th, 1988. The running time, 97 minutes, and it was rated R. I don't have the totals for the budget, but the box office took in $20.3 million, making it the 48th ranked movie of 1988. At the time, Roger Ebert was not a fan of the film and gave it 1.5 out of 4 stars. Here's his review. The Presidio begins with an assembly line screenplay and never rises above it, not even with the weight and warmth of Sean Connery's personality. The whole movie has a feeling of a clone, of a film assembled out of spare parts from other movies, out at the cinematic junkyard. (laughs) From the opening chase sequence on the hills of San Francisco, which looks like Bullet, restaged at night, there's hardly an element we haven't seen before. The heroes, for example, are two law enforcement officers, who have held a grudge in the past, but now must work together. This is not exactly the first movie in history about lawmen who are partners 
And indeed, this movie's director, Peter Hymas, made Running Scared about two Chicago cops only two years ago. That one was about a black cop and a Jewish cop. This one is about a San Francisco cop and a military policeman who speaks with a Scottish accent. It's like a repertory company where only the costumes change. Sean Connery has a few good moments, largely created by his own energy and effort, as when he uses his perfect timing to give ordinary dialogue the feeling of humorous understatement. Mark Harmon seems to lack charisma. On the basis of this film, he is not an interesting actor. Meg Ryan, who plays Connery's daughter, has been appealing in other films, but is given such a collection of cliches to recite in this one that we can barely perceive a reason for her role. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Yeah, so Ebert didn't like it, and that's okay. What's funny is that, yes, back in 1988, the Presidio might have felt like a cookie-cutter film. But today, watching the film is downright refreshing, since the direct that passes for films lately is just awful. And at least the action in the Presidio has real stunts throughout the city, without the need for endless CGI like today. All right, let's get into the main cast. So, of course, you have Sean Connery, who plays Lieutenant Colonel Alan Caldwell. I pretty much covered Connery's career in the hunt for Red October episode. Connery never really had a lull in his very long career. For many, his mid-80s output was pretty stellar, with films like Highlander, The Untouchables, and the third Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade. Mark Harmon plays Jay Austin. Today, Harmon is best known as Gibbs on the long-running TV series NCIS, but back in 1988, he was just an up-and-coming film actor. His career actually began in the 70s on a number of television shows, and if you didn't know, he was also a starting quarterback at UCLA in the 1972 and 1973 seasons. The first film I actually saw Harmon in is still one of my favorites, where he played a happy-go-lucky teacher in the 1987 movie Summer School. Meg Ryan plays Donna Caldwell. At this point, Ryan was on the verge of stardom, which would occur the next year in the film When Harry Met Sally with Billy Crystal. Prior to the Presidio, she was building a resume with films like Top Gun, Armed and Dangerous with John Candy and Eugene Levy, Inner Space with Dennis Quaid and Martin Short, and the remake of DOA with Dennis Quaid, her future husband. The director, Peter Hyams. His career began in the early 1970s, though most of his 70s work I haven't seen. The first movie that I recognized in his filmography was 1986 Running Scare with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, which was a funny buddy cop flick that Hebert mentioned in his review. Now, he would go on to direct a few other gems that I have in my collection, like The Narrow Margin with Gene Hackman, Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme, and he was also in charge of the cinematography in the, on the Presidio. All right, I have a few notes for the making of the film. So in many ways, with the action and the physicality of the role, the Presidio is kind of a precursor to Mark Harmon's best-known and current role as Gibbs on the long-running TV show NCIS. Though, as of this season, I'm recording in 2022, he's off the show, but he'll probably come back. Meg Ryan was very attracted to this particular role in the Presidio because it was much different than her previous roles. In the Presidio, she actually plays someone who is secure in being sexy and serious about her principles as a person. Her past roles were very much light-hearted. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with a montage of scenery shots of San Francisco. So while the people of the city leave lots to be desired, especially nowadays, <laughs> you cannot deny the beauty of the city itself. If only those pesky residents would just go away. After the scenery shots, we are brought to the Presidio Army Base in San Francisco and specifically the military police office. An MP named Patty Jean is on night patrol and she notices a potential break-in at the officer's club. Instead of waiting for backup, as she is instructed, 
She goes into the building. When she confronts the perpetrator, she is shot dead, and the two men flee by car. So the military police pursue while on the base, but once off, they have to let the San Francisco Police Department take over the pursuit. So eventually the MPs crash in their car while in pursuit, and then it's time for the SFPD to take over. Unfortunately, since it's nighttime, you don't get the full effect of the chase in downtown San Francisco. However, I I still think it's a well-done chase scene, but again, as Ebert said, it's no bullet with Steve McQueen. The eventual outcome has the pursuing cop car end up in a fiery crash while the suspects get away. We are then introduced to Jay Austin, played by Mark Harmon. He's a San Francisco police detective and is assigned to the case for the shooting of Patty Jean. In the meantime, the station is dealing with its own issues. Howard, my man, this doesn't look too good for you. This will be your third time down. Third time. Ooh, that's the big one. Eat shit. You got that wrong there. I'm going to be in restaurants eating steak and lobster. You'll be in a slam for the rest of your life. Shit is what you'll be eating. It's their best entree. Howard is beginning to see the light. Hey! Hey! Oh, Jesus! You'll be okay! You'll be okay! I'll get some help! My heart! What? Priest! What? Right there, man! You move and I'll kill the cop! Take your gun out, nice and easy, by the power. Drop it in the crowd and kick it to me. Do it now, or I'll fucking blow him away, I swear it! Don't give him your gun. Give me the goddamn gun, you wanna die, cop? No. Do you? Put the gun away. Give me the gun, I'm gonna do it! Think about it, pal. You shoot me, he's gonna shoot you. Huh? Keep your eyes on me. You take your eyes off me, I guarantee I'll kill you. I'll do it! Either way, pal, you're dead. I'm gonna shoot! Hey, you keep saying that. I don't think you're gonna do it. Got his hand on his gun now. Not quite working out the way you thought it was, huh? Live or die, asshole, your choice. Well, that was a nice bluff by Jay, but that's the type of character he is, and that will play out for the rest of the film. Part of the reason Jay was assigned to this particular case was that he was part of the military police squad years earlier and worked with Patty Jean specifically. To Ebert's point, immediately we have a standard movie trope about jurisdiction. Lieutenant Colonel Alan Caldwell, Sean Connery, wants complete control of the murder case since it occurred on the base. However, Jay has orders that this is supposed to be a joint investigation with the city of San Francisco. Alan is a no-nonsense sort of guy and won't be pushed around by someone like Jay. He makes that perfectly clear early on that he's the boss. The next morning, Jay goes to Alan's house to go over the case. He instead meets Alan's daughter, Donna, played by Meg Ryan. While waiting at the house, Jay chats with Donna and we discover why Jay and Alan clashed the night before. So Jay was an army MP under Alan's command and they did not get along even then. But that's in the past and Jay immediately is smitten with Donna and asks her to dinner and gives her his number. And then Alan comes home and they discuss the case. Now Jay's instincts tell him that the murder of Patty Jean was an inside job by someone on the base due to the type of gun that was used to shoot her. When Jay had interviewed one of the military people about who might have owned the gun, he was stonewalled. And this is why he's going to Allen to see if he can get through the military red tape. 
Alan begrudgingly agrees to help Jay, so they go to a military gun range in an attempt to find out who owned the Tokarev 9mm pistol. As it turns out, it's owned by Colonel Paul Lawrence, played by Dana Gladstone. As it turns out, there's a history between Jay and Colonel Lawrence, as Jay arrested Lawrence while still in the army. But Alan did not back Jay's arrest at the time, and that is what the big grudge between the two is. That night, Alan and Donna argue about Donna going on a date with Jay. Alan believes Jay is simply using Donna to get at Alan. Donna says that she's no longer a child and her father can't dictate who she sees. And Donna point blank asks what the real deal is between him and Jay. Alan explains about the Colonel Lawrence incident from a few years prior. Jay and Patty Jean were on patrol together. Lawrence had a few drinks in him and insulted Patty Jean. Jay blew up and beat the crap out of Lawrence and put him in a drunk tank. Alan then came out and bailed out Lawrence and then disavowed Jay's behavior as an MP. After the story, Alan reiterates to Donna not to see Jay. Well, that doesn't go over well and she leaves to go on her date with Jay. At dinner, Jay tells his side of the events regarding Lawrence. Donna then cuts to the chase and says to forget dinner and they should just be alone. And the two eagerly leave the restaurant, with the punchline being that they take separate cars and Jay thinks that he's following her and she drives like a maniac and loses him in the streets of San Francisco. He drives home and she is waiting for him because he gave her his card earlier in the day where he lives. And then they get hot and heavy outside of his place on the hood of her car, which is very nice. It's an amusing scene as he carries her up the plethora of stairs. If you've been to San Francisco, you know about the many stairs uh, on the street. Uh, so he used to do this in order to get into his place. After the fun, we find out more about Donna, like how her mom killed herself when she was two years old. And this might explain the contentious relationship between Donna and her father to this day. The next day, Alan and Jay meet with Lawrence to retrieve his gun. As it turns out, he no longer has it. He claims to have lost it in a poker game a few weeks prior. Lawrence won't say who he actually lost it to. And Jay leaves in sense while Alan is calm about the meeting. Now, the reason Alan is so calm is he believes that they may already have the bullet available to test against the bullet that killed Patty Jean. So they then go to a gun range and find the bullet fired from Lawrence's gun that was saved in a barrel. If that bullet matches the bullet found in Patty Jean, well, they have their connection. In the meantime, Alan goes to visit his friend, a retired sergeant major named Ross McClure, played by the great Jack Warden. He runs the Presidio Army Museum and gives a tour to a group of schoolchildren. He was a decorated soldier and won the Medal of Honor after serving in Vietnam. Now, this scene is great to watch because you have Connery and Warden together, which is just a treat. But it's really just more of a way to introduce Warden's character rather than really being a vital plot point, but still fun to watch. Alan and Jay's next stop is to meet a high-profile businessman named Arthur Peel, played by Mark Blum. You'll remember him as Richard in Crocodile Dundee. His car was the one stolen the night of the murder and used as the getaway vehicle. Alan wants to question Peel further, but Jay doesn't, and this leads to one of the best scenes in the film. You're not in command here. You were in such a rush to get out of there that you didn't even see what was on the table. Look, I ran a make on Peel. I put him through R&I a hundred times, checked him up, down, sideways. Hey, I don't like him, but he's clean. Okay, when do you get the ballistics report on the talker on the slug? Couple hours. Good. Come on, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Are you kidding? No. No, I'm not kidding. Oh. Brad, 
I want to talk to you about Donna. Are you really going to sit here and ask me my intentions? That is exactly what I'm going to do. Colonel, you really are a piece of work. What's so funny? <laughs> How's it hanging, Major? <laughs> you want to leave? Uh, after my coffee. So, come on, Major. I'm talking to you. Let <laughs> hmm? it alone, boy. Excuse me, Major? I said let it alone. Did I hear the major right? You give me an order? You stink, major. What is that smell anyway? Mothballs? What are you gonna do now, major? Now, are you sure you want to have a fight? Because I'm only going to use my thumb. Thumb? My right thumb. Left one's much too powerful for you. Come on! Guys, keep it fair. Lieutenant Colonel. If there were gold, then I'd be a major. You understand? Yes, sir. Well, that's good. Because the next time you see an officer of the army, you'll be able to recognize his rank. And he won't get pissed off and accidentally hurt you. Understand? Yes, sir. Good. Thank you. About your daughter, sir. I want you to know my intentions are strictly honorable. <laughs> Just one thumb needed for the badass Sean Connery. And by the way, the guy that Connery destroys, you might remember him from the Stallone movie, Over the Top. That was the character Bull Hurley. You're mine, Hawk! So Jay ends up getting a tip from one of his old MP buddies that the ballistics report on the firing range bullet matched the type of bullet that shot Patty Jean. Jay, also from this tip, knows that Lawrence will be in Chinatown and he wants to arrest him there. This leads to a terrific on-foot chase throughout Chinatown with the punchline being that Lawrence gets hit by a car and then killed. And Jay isn't sure that the car that hit and killed Lawrence was just an accident. 
So while Jay isn't too broken up by the death of Lawrence, Alan is beyond pissed because he's not sure it was Lawrence that actually killed Patty Jean. Alan suspects that Lawrence was just one part of this conspiracy. For example, Alan noticed that there was Vietnam-era paraphernalia in Peel's office and learned that Peel was in the CIA before starting his business. This meant that Lawrence and Peel actually knew each other. Alan and Jay need to figure out what the guys that broke into the officer's club were looking for the night that Patty Jean was shot. She, frankly, was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the mystery is what was being stolen at that club. As it turns out, they were trying to retrieve a tank full of spring water. But why? So it's off to investigate the spring water company. Hi. All right. Looking for the dispatcher. You found her, man. Her name is Gloria. Gloria? You followed the dead? Everywhere, man. You too? Oh, yeah. First time I saw him was 73 at Winterland. Flipped me right out. Been a fan ever since. That is intense. <laughs> Tell me, did you do uh, Oakland New Year's? All six shows. I slept in the parking lot. It was so mellow. How many have you seen? Anaheim was 179. My boyfriend hasn't missed one for four years. Hmm. I can't do that because of work. His old man's got money. Work's such a drag, you know. Who's General Washington? My father. Bummer. Tell me. <laughs> he into elevator music? What do you think? <laughs> Gloria, this is kind of embarrassing, you know, but... Last week I borrowed my father's car, had it parked outside the officer's club at the Presidio and came back outside and someone banged into it. No big deal, but I remembered seeing a delivery truck, one of your delivery trucks, making a delivery. Thought maybe the driver saw something. Thought maybe I could talk to him. I mean, he doesn't believe me. He thinks I did it. He never believes you, right? Here's any different. You never heard it from me. Officer's club at the Presidio? Mm hmm Deliveries are every Tuesday. Driver's name is Spoda. You working today? It's his day off. You can catch him at 8.30 in the morning. Do you have a first name? Do you? Jay. First name, George. I like yours better. <laughs> I know this is asking a lot, but you think you could give me his home address? I, I promise, no hassle. I don't know, man. You take a good look at him. Does he look like someone who would wait until tomorrow morning? 732 Vermont. You never heard it from me. Got it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, the hippy-dippy San Francisco cliche. Those were the days. Now it's the lame tech bros. All right, there's about 30 minutes left, and there's plenty of action and mystery that remains. And what will the deal be with the water bottle? Or was that just a MacGuffin? Will Jay and Donna remain an item? Will Alan and Jay ever learn to respect one another? Well, it's all answered, and I will leave you with this great scene with Sean Connery and Jack Warden sharing old stories. You know, sometimes I think it was easy winning that medal and wearing it. Think any of those people over there give a shit about us? We give a shit about them, that's what matters. <laughs> you know what I think? I think America is like a big fancy house. And we're the Doberman Pinchers. Doberman Pinchers? Hmm. That guy hears a noise downstairs, he's really happy to have his big ugly dog, huh? 
The next day, when he's got his friends coming around, he locks up the dog. Why? Because he's embarrassed. But that night, sure as shit, he unlocks the dog to protect his big fancy house. And if some guy comes in and the dog doesn't bite his ass, he's going to take a rolled up newspaper and smack him right in the fucking mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. I'll tell you something else. And I remember this like it was yesterday. When I was 10, my old man was laid off again. Comes home, says, we're leaving Scotland. We're going to America. And gives me this book on Thomas Jefferson. I read it right through. The next thing I know, I'm on the deck of this ship. My old man shouts, look, there she is. Uh, I could just see over the guardrail. It's a Statue of Liberty. Her look. And that green color on her face. You know, she really is that beautiful. Anyway, that's how I see America. Yeah. And that's why. So while this film isn't groundbreaking by any means, it really doesn't need to be. I think the acting's terrific and the mystery keeps you guessing. Plus, the action scenes are very well done and it's real stuntmen. And if you happen to live near or in the San Francisco Bay Area, you'll appreciate the location shooting. All right, some fun facts. So this film was set to go in production in 1986 with Lee Marvin and Jeff Bridges starring. But Marvin fell ill and died the same year. And then Gene Hackman was approached to replace Marvin, but then he turned it down. And then when Jeff Bridges left the project, everything was put on hold. So then the film turned into Sean Connery and Don Johnson, but Johnson had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts with the Miami Vice TV show. Then Mark Harmon was brought in as a last-minute replacement. Kevin Costner was also supposed to play the Jay Austin role, which pleased Sean Connery immensely because you really enjoyed working with him on The Untouchables, but that didn't work out. There were many other actors tapped to potentially play the Jay Austin role. Get ready for this list. Kurt Russell, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dennis Quaid, Michael Bine, Patrick Swayze, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, Bill Pullman, Richard Gere, Michael Keaton, and Alec Baldwin were all considered to play Jay Austin. This is an interesting one. Marlon Brando turned down the role of Sergeant Major Ross McClure, which of course was Jack Warden. All right, so, and to give you a little bit of history about the Presidio, if you're interested, uh, it was originally a fort back when California was known as New Spain. And so it was built in 1776 on the northern tip of the central San Francisco Peninsula in San Francisco Bay. It was established as a means to gaining a foothold in northern California as Spain continued to expand its territory. So it continued as a fort and a prison, but then was passed to Mexico and then in 1848 to the United States. It then served as an army base for 141 years. And in 1989, a year after this film, the base was closed and absorbed into the Golden Gate Recreation Era and then was handed over to the National Park Service in 1994. And unless you live in San Francisco, you probably don't care about this. But hey, I do have a large following in the Bay Area, which makes sense. This is where I live. In any case, have fun with this movie. You may have missed it. Again, it's better than anything that's out today that, that's pretty much new. So check it out. And I'll talk to you guys next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. 
If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open seven days a week and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.